Hey, who said you could come in here? Another edition of Thrifty Podcast, and as usual, I'm your host, Toddy, and it's great to be coming into your earbuds whenever it is I am traveling through the wires and into your brain, whether it's on the way into work in the morning, maybe on your lunch break, you're eating a sandwich and listening to the show, or maybe even better, heck, you're leaving work and eating a sandwich in your car and you have this busting out through your radio coming home. I welcome you to Thrifty Podcast, so if you feel welcome, throw those W's up in the air. It's great to have you listening. Now, this week on the show, it's actually going to be quite different than any other Thrifty episode you've listened to before, and if this is your first episode, It might give you a sneak peek into what we do and also how I came to be in the podcasting world. Now, this week, it may be a little bit masturbatory. I'm not quite sure. But in recent weeks, we've had an increased number of listeners. And some have asked me how I first got into podcasting or uh, how I first got into art in general. And I thought it would be cool to kind of share some inside information with you as how I came to be who I am today. Um, I'm going to take a shot at this. I've never done anything like this before, so maybe it's cool, maybe it's lame, maybe it's somewhere in the middle, maybe it's something you skip, I'm not quite sure. But last week's episode was our live episode from Podcast Night at the Tolma Number 2. It was a DIY live show. Me and two other shows put on uh, some entertainment for some friends and also some local folks uh, to the area that came out to see us. It was a super crazy night, and we all uh, super appreciated the attendance, and we had a good time, so you can actually listen to that episode on the stream from last week. But it was a bit of a sensory overload for me. So this week I kind of wanted to take it back a little bit, walk it back a little bit, and uh, just talk about some uh, other possibly interesting stuff. Um, Before I get into that, I do want to let you know that there will be a thrift haul as a part of this episode, but it'll be appearing in Act 2. Also, before I get started... Um, some pieces of business I want to get out of the way. As of right now, uh, as most of you know, Thrifty Podcast tapes out of Western Pennsylvania, specifically Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And the Pittsburgh City Paper is now uh, allowing nominations for their 2019 Best Ofs. One of the categories listed is Best Podcast. So... I got to thinking, maybe that could be thrifty in those nominations. So if you go to pghcitypaper.com, then click on Best of Pittsburgh, 
and then click on people and places you will find a little area so you can nominate thrifty as best podcast in pittsburgh now the goal here isn't to win because just to be nominated would be an honor because i'm sure there's a lot of other great podcasts and some even in my circle that you listen to and you appreciate I'm not trying to be better than anybody, but it would be an honor for me to be nominated, and I do see Thrifty has been nominated so far, but if you want to go to pghcitypaper.com, then click Best of Pittsburgh, then click People and Places, throw your nomination for Thrifty in there, it'd be much appreciated, hopefully we could get a mention, and again, speaking of throwing Thrifty in there, you could once again throw those W's up because you are very welcome to do that. Thanks so much. Also coming up, May the 7th, rapidly approaching, our friends in Ghoul on Ghoul podcast are having a live show also in Pittsburgh, PA, at the Spirit Lodge. And Spirit's a cool place for those of you who uh, haven't been there before. But there's going to be live entertainment, live podcasting, merchandise, some games. But they are celebrating their one year in existence. And uh, I will be a part of the live show in some aspect coming up as well too. I don't want to give too much away because it is Ghoul on Ghoul's show. But I hope to see you May 7th at Ghoul on Ghoul's first birthday. Also, coming up, May 17th, Thrifty Live Show at the Black Cat Market in Pittsburgh, PA. It's on Butler Street in the Lawrenceville neighborhood. We're going to be doing a live show where we are inviting those folks interested in the thrifting world to bring one thrifted item that you hold sentimentality for, and we want to talk to you about it on the show. So definitely go to Facebook.com, the website, and type in Thrifty Live at the Black Cat Market. An event will pop up. Click going and we shall see you there. But without further ado, I'm going to be jumping into the meat and potatoes of this episode. And you might as well get a bigger cafeteria tray because we're going to throw even two more scoops of potatoes. So you're going to have some meat and you're going to have three scoops of potatoes and that's going to be saturated in some turkey gravy. That's how much content this next part is going to be. Um, But as I mentioned before, what we're going to be hopping into now is how I became a thrifter, how Thrifty Podcast came to be, and some other maybe exciting or not so exciting information about me. And we're calling this Thrifty Podcast's prequel so uh growing up as you probably assume right off the bat i grew up pretty much a dork um i my first collection of anything that i could really remember is i used to drive around those uh battery operated uh cars like the bigfoot trucks and stuff like that And those cars that you could just sit in and uh, drive and pretend that they were real cars, that was actually my super demographic when I was younger. And that's the first collection that I could think of. And in fact, the first big wheel that I had was the Bigfoot monster truck. It was a blue truck. And a lot of the times what I would do 
is fill up the back with gravel, drive it across my grandfather's yard, because it was actually uh, a big yard. There was a bunch of woods in the yard. So I'd move gravel from one part of the yard to the other part of the yard. And that was my favorite activity that I would do all summer long, pretty much every day. Um, in that collection, too, was a road, a red Roadrunner big wheel that I would drive around. And if I could remember it, that was actually a hand-me-down one that uh, the red Roadrunner was actually in my family passed along. And it had a problem with the hood. The hood would actually go up and down a bunch when I was driving it. So it was the second most likely one um, for me to drive, but that was my red Roadrunner. I couldn't really do any gravel stuff with it, so that was more of my flashy, maybe drive it by the actual road car to kind of like show off. Um, so my Bigfoot was kind of like my beater, and that was more so something to just drive a, drive around and be flashy and wear sunglasses and that type of thing. The third one in my collection was a black hot rod with red and yellow flames on the side. Now, visually speaking, it was quite impressive, but it got the less use of, uh, of the other two. Um, so this was third on the list because the pedals were super hard to push. Um, looking back, um, my mom always had this habit of just like over tightening everything. Um, like the faucets at our house, the faucets in the house that I grew up with, um, man, you would have to get a wrench to sometimes, uh, to, to loosen those babies up because they were just tightened to the, they were just tightened to the max. So looking back, I think when the hot rod was put together, um, everything was tightened too much and my little feet, uh, weren't very strong at, at that point in my life. So I would have to push and push and push just to get the thing off the ground now, that was a nice little coaster vehicle because with those steep driveways, that was the, the most fun to, to kind of ride down because it was the only time that I would, I would experience acceleration um, in, in that vehicle. So that was like really the only time I would, I would use it is, is going down the driveway. But that was my first collection of things. I had big wheel cars. Um, but I, I spent a, a lot of a lot of my early years at that uh, grandfather's house, and um, he taught me a lot about life. And one of the, the the first things that we did together when I was sort of developing my own sense of whatever, you know, as a little kid being a dork, is I had a fascin fascination with professional wrestling. Um, at that point in time, uh, my grandfather and I would watch it together. We would watch WWF Monday Night Raw a lot. But shortly after I got into it, it got a little uh, uh, not PG enough for him. So he basically would just tape some wrestling for me and then I would watch it. But it's something that we collectively used to appreciate together and Locally, uh, we didn't always have the money to, to go see the shows, so we would just used to like tape them off a of TV or you know watch them. We did have cable, so I would you know watch them on there too. But the first time that I ever um, invested myself into something, I was I was sort of that age, and it was believe it or not, recording my own voice. 
And if you think my voice is annoying now, um, you should hear it when I was like younger. But my grandfather and I, we would actually record faux wrestling matches on cassette tapes. So I would just merely plug a microphone into uh, the, the, the cassette recorder. And we would uh, we had one microphone, and we would each do our bit, and we would pack it. We would uh, pass it back and forth. So an example: um, a lot of the times, uh, one of us was the interviewer, and the other one was the wrestler. And so, in, in this particular instance that I'm about to play for you, I myself was interviewing my grandfather as a wrestler. So my grandfather in this clip actually played Yokozuna, and that other voice is me. And we used to have a, a bunch of these tapes. We probably had, geez, probably like ten or twelve, um, just filled with all this, uh, with all this wrestle garbage of us calling matches or us pretending to be wrestlers. And it's something that we did quite frequently. Now, over the years, the tapes uh, were lost, unfortunately. About, uh, what is it, 2019, the year of our Lord? Um, probably about uh, six or seven years ago, I, I, I found uh, one of the tapes. And this is where this clip is actually from. Um, but I still have this particular tape somewhere. But um, this has been on YouTube.com, the website, for a while. But without further ado, this is actually one of my first recordings. This is me as a wrestling interviewer interviewing Yokozuna, who is my grandfather. So, Yokozuna, big matchup with Lex Luger. Now, Yokozuna, I've been watching you all my life, but where are you from? Hi, Yokozuma. I am from Tokyo, Japan. I was born in Nagasaki, and I moved to Tokyo because it's a bigger city. Now, how did you get so big? I eat a lot of fish heads. Fish heads have lots of protein, and I'm on a diet strictly fish heads. But if you're on a diet, how you get bigger and bigger? Well, I drink a lot of sake. You know what sake is? No, I don't. Sake is like moonshine over here. I drink a lot of sake. I drink maybe a gallon of sake and 25 fish heads. Every time I sit down to eat, that puts a lot of bulk on me. So that's why I'm that's why I'm weighing five hundred and twenty pounds. Well, how about this matchup with Lex Luger? I have been waiting for this matchup for a long, long time, and Lex Luger is in for a big surprise. You think that Pearl Harbor? was a surprise. This is going to be a much bigger surprise. Okay. And we'll see you next week with more with the 123 Kid. Now, sure, absolutely, I agree with you 110%. 
not all of the dialect or language holds up in 2019, but you have to understand, I was literally a little boy, and I was just pitching these ideas to my grandfather, and he just went along with that. But that was your typical one-on-one interview. Uh, We would also do stuff that was way more hard to understand and convoluted than that. Um, And it would all just be improv, and he basically would just have to follow my lead. But the problem was I was was not very reliable as a narrator because I had no idea what I was saying or where I was going with things. So I would just start sentences, and I never knew how they would end. Well, in this next clip I'm about to show to you, um, my grandfather and I are uh, at least two to three different characters, different wrestlers, and this is us just like interviewing each other back and forth, and I also need to say that my sister, even now, I have an older sister, um, growing up she was a big Bon Jovi fan. So a lot of the music that I was susceptible to was obviously the music played in the household. So one of the first uh, musicians that I remember hearing about or listening to was John Bon Jovi. So there was a huge crossover period where Bon Jovi was in all of my wrestling stuff. So uh, the next clip is just a bunch of wrestle poop from that age where everything was happening all at once, and my grandfather had to play along. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gorilla Monsoon. I'm coming to you today from the wrestling arena in Montreal, Canada, the home of great wrestling. And coming down the aisle now is the great Hitman. I have a big surprise for you, Grill Monsoon. Since it's almost New Year's, I have a present for you. Here you go. What kind of present do you have for me? Well, a new suit. And it's in a little... Wait a while. What do you think? My suit doesn't look too good? It does, but... Maybe you need a new suit after all these years. Maybe you need a new nose after all these years. I am fed up with your insults. Who do you think you are? Well, I I thought you wanted a gift for New Year's. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, I see. Here comes Shawn Michael down the aisle. Oh, he's coming over here. Oh, hold on, ladies and gentlemen. Well, you try to give this old gorilla a present? He deserves hey, wait, nothing. Hey, hey, no fighting. No fighting. Wait, watch that pushing here. Hey, hey, Michaels. Take it easy now. We're on the air. Well, so what, old geezer? He can't wrestle. Hitman, you gonna let him talk to me like that? No. Maybe you're right. Somebody needs a new nose. Oh, 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 oh. look, here, grab it on there. Bam, boom, boom, boom. Oh, 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 look, look like they've started this match, ladies and gentlemen, and I have to leave now. They're in the ring wrestling. Oh, whoa, there's a headlock. Gorilla, hey, I have to drop in there. 
ladies and gentlemen, here comes the president, Jack Tunney, down. We have to interview Jack Tunney. The, hey, we have to stop this match. They're killing each other. They're hitting each other with chairs and everything in the ring. Jack, come over here a minute. Jack. I, I think they should go on with the matchup. But let them wrestle. They'll get tired and tired until the New, Year, New Year's Rumble. Happy New Year. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We're coming to you today from the Boston Gardens, home of the WWE Wrestling Federation. This program is brought to you by Chrysler Plymouth, maker of the best cars in the United States. I'm Willie O'Bart, and with me today is the head speaker of the WWF Wrestling Federation, Todd Pettengill. Uh, here it is, Todd. I'm telling you, who won the Battle of Bass? One, two, three, Kid was supposed to be against Quang again for the belt, because the Kid won it before the, the New Year's Rumble with, against Razor Ramon. That was the belt right there. But last time on the, the show, we told you about the one, two, three kid winning the belt against Quang. But Quang didn't come out and get him. Bon Jovi had to fight him. And Bon Jovi won the belt. And also, we have Bon Jovi right here. This is Bon. I'll tell you, it was one tough match. This one, two, three kid is a tough kid. He gave me a couple arm bars and a couple kicks in the chin, but I prevailed. I went and I reached over and grabbed my guitar and I smacked him over the head and pinned him. One, two, three. It was a tough match, but the best guy won. So we did these types of shenanigans pretty much uh, at, on an everyday basis. It came to the point where not only was I recording uh, fake wrestling matches, but uh, I then became a sports commentator, and unfortunately I don't have any of those tapes from that era or anything like that, but I would call baseball games and have made up statistics that I would follow, and it had all this storyline and all this canon and everything like that. Um, later on, I then became, became uh, a musician myself, and I put musician in quotes because I didn't actually play any instruments or have any talent or anything like that. But I would record myself singing, and my mouth would be my instrument. And so I would, I would just make noises, um, and those would be the instruments. And then sometimes I would have a friend uh, accompany me on the track as well. Um, it, it, it got to the point where we had what we called a, a recording light. So what this recording light was, um, when I was recording in the basement... I would, uh, you know, put the light on. So I felt like a professional. I would go in the basement, turn the light on. So that would mean anybody coming into the basement or coming down to the basement, if they would see this light on, that would mean to pay some respect to me recording. Um, because if we based it on if I was talking, that meant I was recording. That uh, wouldn't work because I was always talking to myself as it was. So this means that I was talking and recording so the recording light was the coolest thing in the world 
So that's what I did for years, and um, as I got older, um, obviously, um, I, I didn't have as, as much opportunity to do that. I became a, a teenager, and I didn't really do any of that not cool stuff. Um, I did uh, my first big interest in comedy, if I had to look back, was the Tom Green show on MTV, Tom Green was sort of this comedian that did like an alternative type of comedy where it was just wild and wacky. And at that time, it was the coolest thing I had ever seen. Um, it was basically him and his friends uh, just hanging out and pulling pranks on each other and doing these goofy stunts. And it's something that I not only admired, I respected it, and for sure, as a 13-year-old, tried to copy it as much as I could. Um, so uh, a friend, Zach, of mine, I had a friend, Vance, we called him Boomer, after Boomer Esiason. Um, we would do a Tom Green sketches and attempt to mimic Tom Green and record ourselves um, doing stuff of that type. Um, Boomer was actually pretty critical in, in, in this stage of my life because Boomer was also a wrestling fan and he would get pay-per-views and my, my, uh, household unfortunately didn't get them or couldn't afford them or yada, yada, yada. So we would spend countless Sunday nights on the phone with one another and he would be telling me the spoilers of what he was seeing on television and, it was quite fun for the both of us. Um, unfortunately, uh, wrestling fans will know Owen Hart. He he passed away. He he fell from the top of the stadium in Kansas City over this big wrestling stunt. Um, but unfortunately, um, that was one of our memories. I was on the phone with him when when uh, Owen Hart fell and died. And at a young age, began to process this and understand that wrestling was not always real but in this in this moment it was very real but I still to this day have respect for Boomer and, and keep in contact with him from time to time but Tom Green was our thing um, we then went on to the very problematic Andy Dick but that's my first sense of comedy so I knew that I liked recording stuff I knew that I had an interest in comedy but again I was still very young in high school, I attempted to, to sort of, uh, I don't want to say distance myself, because maybe that's what I did, but I was I was trying to be more so like a, a regular person, I guess you could say, and obviously your teenage years, everybody's teenage years, uh, regardless of who you are, are tough. So they were much tough for, for me. They were, uh, you know, fitting in and stuff like that, and school was hard, so I didn't really watch wrestling um, as much as I did because it wasn't like socially accepted and I also looked at it as something that was like, uh, you know, uncool to do and I had yet to embrace the uncool stuff about myself. So um, I, I, I was still trying to find myself, who I wanted to be, what I wanted to do and I had the awesome opportunity of actually meeting a bunch of like-minded folks in college. Um, I didn't go to a real college, and this is actually uh, maybe interesting. Um, I went to a two-year art college that ended up being like a, a pretty big sham. 
Um, I went there for photography because I had an interest in the arts and photography. And even starting out young, I would always be taking pictures of stuff and everything like that. So um, this was my first opportunity to really get out there and press the flesh and find out if that's who I wanted to be. And I began putting a portfolio together and um, a lot of the stuff I had so much fun doing because it was for the first time in my life um, people uh, my age were doing the same things that I'd like to do. So I really uh, credit that time as when I sort of came out of my shell and sort of, uh, sort of developed my own type of, I hate to say like my own brand, but it was sort of like my own brand and my own sense of humor and my own opinions, all that fun stuff. But the art school was pretty tough. Um, I, I graduated there. I did speak at graduation. I was sort of a, uh, the valedictorian, but that's, that's not even, there was like 13 of us that graduated that year, maybe even less. So it was like fake 100%. I ended up working there for a significant amount of time. And that amount of time really set me back, uh, quite a lot. Um, when I worked at the art school, I was no longer allowed to communicate with like-minded folks my own age because I worked there. So they said if if I was friends or anything other than friends with people who went to school there, that would be troublesome. The problem was I was everybody's ages. So it was kind of a, a very bad time for me, very bad experiences during that time because I uh, essentially I was shut in not to be able to communicate and I had different bosses and different people above me that made me feel terrible about myself. Um, that was just a very, very dark period. I, I lived alone um, during this period as well. I had my own apartment. I lived alone. It was terrible. I didn't really go outside. But it really shut down a lot of these uh, uh, positive feelings that I associated with art or with photography. And um, as the years kind of went on, uh, my eyes are terrible. I could barely use them. They barely work as eyes. So the passion for photography sort of subsided, number one, because I was working under this person that was just ter terrible to me every day. Um, and when the school shut down, it actually made, it actually made national news. Uh, it made national news because uh, there was two individuals, uh, an ex-wife and an ex-husband, that were laundering money. It was terrible, but um, I had already left at that point. So I was working there. I just got the courage one day to just stand up to my boss through tears and just said, I just can't work here anymore doing all this stuff. And even in that moment, she felt no remorse to me and merely said, oh, I, I always knew you couldn't take criticism. So that was even that moment for me. So I left there um, to pursue another job. And in uh, my wake of leaving, I found out that that particular school actually shut down. Um, as I said, it made national news, but I, I, I saw it because there was people on television that I had actually, quote unquote, recruited to be a part of that school. And they were on television saying that they walked into the school that day. There was a big announcement that as of that literal moment, school is over. School is done. It's shutting down. So people couldn't even be taught out. Um, they never got their degrees. And even to this day, there's still some turmoil about it. But so that was 
photography and I did that for quite some time. I still to this day do a little bit of it, but my eyes are bad and I've sort of moved in different directions. And during that time is actually when I began listening to podcasts. And at the time, I would use these podcasts as something to listen to while on the road because when I worked for this art school, after I graduated, I would be I would do high school presentations. So if you remember being in high school and somebody coming into your room and presenting a college, that's what I did. I was that person, only I presented the arts, and then obviously through the arts, the college I was representing. So during these long drives and these long nights at the apartment by myself, I would be listening to to different podcasts. I believe it was This American Life was the first one. Now that seems like ultimately very normal and boring as your first show, but that was just the first one that I had found. Um, So as I was uh, trickling down into these other shows, I found like comedy shows. I found a bunch of other stuff as well too. The next part of my life was quite pivotal and quite eye-opening to me because living alone, uh, working on the road, you know, listening to podcasts by myself, um, sort of falling out of love with art, not a ton going on socially, I needed something to sort of, you know, in a way cling to. My friend Mike, who I still, uh, we're still close friends to this day, uh, we, we would, even then, we would exchange podcasts that we listened to and different things, different music, all kinds of stuff. And Mike asked me if I ever heard of a show called The Chris Gethard Show. And at the time, I had not. Um, he explained it to me that it was a comedian and his pals at the UCB Theater. They had just finished up a, a show at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York and they were moving to public access television to have more of a variety, live show, call-in show type thing. Well, Mike uh, w- was watching this show. It was probably about uh, 10 to 20 episodes in. And what they would do is on Wednesday night at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, they would have an hour broadcast that this comedian Chris Gethard and his friends would do this wacky comedy show, and there would be fun music and a lot of cool experiences. One, two, three, four! He had to recommend it to me a couple of times before I first started to watch. Um, One of the first things that I remember is he asking me if I've ever heard of the wrestler Colt Cabana. And Colt Cabana, even still to this day, is one of my favorite professional wrestlers out there. Um, He is not only a professional wrestler, but a comedian of sorts as well, an all-around good guy. 
And so this uh, combination between uh, being a wrestler and being a comedian, uh, those are two things that I've always admired. So he said Colt Cabana was on the show, and I had known Colt. So I had watched the show, and for the first time, and boy, it felt like forever, I found people of like mind, of like sound, of like everything that I wanted to do and I wanted to be, and it was just a heck of a good time, and uh, I wanted to, to get involved with this show. So uh, at the time, the show was small enough that it was a, a small community, a very open community that you could interact with the people on the show. And so um, I became friends with the, the main comedian on the show, Chris Gethard, and we would you know go back and forth for uh, a long time. And after a while, I began calling into the show. And I got um, some validation from that because people thought I was funny or um, I, I even developed friends. I was starting to develop friendships in the community. So it was my weekly validation um, of all this mundane bullshit that I was going through. I was super unhappy, but I could call once a week into the show and feel like myself. And at the time, it was such a life changer to me that um, that I would do it quite often. Now, obviously, um, it wasn't always the easiest for me because being, uh, believe it or not, like talking to people isn't my strong suit. So I would get like liquored up. I would just get super drunk and I would call in and we would talk about stuff. So um, this was me probably, geez, a while ago calling into the Chris Gethard show and the reactions it would get. You're looking good. Let's go. Oh, Todd, Todd in Pittsburgh, our old friend, makes a lot of gifts of the show. Thank you for doing that, Todd. Todd, how are things? Hey, man, I'm going to be honest with you. I drank a little too much tonight, so this is going to be an interesting call. Yeah. Yeah. You do it up, bro. You don't apologize, man. Yeah, but it's cool because uh, I'm going to be uh, wanted at the show next month, and I'm still looking for a place to stay. Let me see if I can take care of it. Hold on, Todd. Is there anybody yeah. here who will let Todd stay at their house? Yeah, I got a, I'd love to. I'd love to. <laughs> you can stay at Zach's house. Zach just said you can stay with him. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Zach. I'm going to be real with you. I'm not as weird as I'm acting right now because I'm super wasted. Oh, no. I'd love to stay at your house. I would love to stay at your house, man. You're willing to have yeah. a, a random kid from Pittsburgh. It's, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a studio. <laughs> Todd, what you been drinking, man? What's your drink of choice? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I've been finishing off a bottle of Calico Jack and uh, my favorite red stag, red stag whiskey. Okay. Yeah. Now, Murph, you're so, a whiskey drinker. Yeah, I, I don't have to be at work tomorrow until noon. Nice. So I'm just, like, fucking going at it today, man. Nice, dude. I'm glad we're a part of that. I'm glad we're a part of that. And you know what? Honestly, thank you for all your help with all the, the stuff you do for us um, for on Tumblr and all that stuff. It's really cool of you. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I, I, I'll still keep doing it. I just hope that I'm not embarrassing myself in public right now. No, dude, I think you're killing it, and I think our studio audience agrees. Yeah. <laughs> oh, David Todd, you got the Arsenio. That's how good you're doing. You got the Arsenio. So to fast forward a little bit, 
as time moved on, I became better friends with Chris. I became better friends with the community. And I found myself inside the community and actually doing pretty okay. Um, for the first time ever, I could even still uh, remember it now, feeling accepted and wanted even. And finding people uh, that were interested in the same things and that we could talk about. So this whole fan base became huge. I then made connections in different cities and I would travel to different cities to see different folks and it was a it was a great time. And during this time with my uh, I guess you could say my I, I, I would say my loose knowledge of podcasts, but at the time I thought I did have a great knowledge of how to conduct myself and how to host one and how to do whatever. I mean, even still to this day, I'm not that great of a host or anything like that. And I'm always working to make my shows better and hoping they become better. But I had my first idea for a general concept for a podcast. I was listening to podcasts. I was big into comedy. Um, so I was going to do my own podcast for the first time. And it was called, Is That Your Kid? And Is That Your Kid? Looking back, even um, some years after it, not all of it holds up, but I had the time of my life with uh, a good friend of mine, Jake, and Jake was my co-host, and that was the first piece of honest art I felt something for that I ever created, and our it, we did this weekly, and still to this day, I, I, I think it's like uh, a, a great thing that I did because it's hard for me on a, on a week-to-week basis to always find that motivation to record that next podcast episode, even with Thrifty. But with Is That Your Kid, we would record every Sunday consecutively for about forever. Now, when I say forever, the show only lasted like two, three years, but we did not miss a beat. We did not miss anything. Sunday morning, I would be going over there. I would sometimes be bringing the table that we would even record on. I had all the equipment. I bought everything I could with help of other folks, and I just recorded what we did. Um, so it was a weekly show, and it was more so a variety show, just kind of like two pals talking about their week, and then we would usually have like a sketch or some kind of segment or some kind of game that we would also incorporate to the episodes now, this was before, I don't want to say before the huge podcast, well, maybe it was. This was before the huge podcast boom where everybody had a podcast, but this is right at the beginning of that when people were finding out that uh, this would be uh, a medium that would be often listened to. So it was like right before the big podcast boom. So yeah, it was a basic show um, that we would just go back and forth. But something um, that was one of our best ideas that uh, I, I wish that, uh, that we even put together even better was something called the Breakathon. And once a year, sometimes twice a year, we would have a break-a-thon episode on Is That Your Kid? And what we would do is we would either collect uh, breakable items around the house, like your porcelains, your glass whatevers, or we would go to a thrift store, a thrift store, and buy these cheap items that we would merely break on the show. The concept of the game was that one of us would break an item 
and how we would set this up is we would have a cardboard box at the bottom of the cardboard box would be bricks so we would mic up the cardboard box and one of us would throw a breakable object onto the bricks the other person would hear the breaking and then had to guess what object broke now before we did the breakathons we would show each other the objects we were breaking so during the breaking process we would have to say oh you know what that sounded like the wine bottle oh that sounded like the porcelain cardinal that type of thing so the next clip you're going to hear is one of is that your kids breakathons so object number five for the 2015 breakathon give it to us all right here we go three two one oh that sounds just like the last one yikes all right jake is up boy oh boy oh boy that sounds just like the last one i i will say that was the holly dish all right then i'm gonna say the white basket mm. there's two of them in my mind i wanted to go peaches and also white basket <laughs> let me think it didn't sound gooey it didn't sound gooey, i don't think it will i don't think goo would sound that's the thing about goop it doesn't sound. smash goop goop like this <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't you're not gonna hear you're not gonna hear it'll peaches. stick the glass together it won't move around it'll muffle much. the it'll muffle the psh. But it'll it's, go. But it's not. You're not gonna hear peaches on bricks. Brother, Jet, I'm not. No one is talking Jet about fuel, hearing the peach Jet noise. The, 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 we're hearing about the glass the, noise. The peaches will obstruct the movement of the glass. And to be honest, then I'm that means you. that the peaches are going to change the game after the peaches happen because yeah. they're going to affect all the glass from that point. Henceforth. So during this time, I was still close with uh, the Chris Gethard Show community, the TCGS community, as they were later then called. And all these individuals that I knew that were interested in pursuing comedy or did a podcast, I was trying to stay closely knit with them just so we could bounce off ideas one another and develop new things. Um, as Is That Your Kid came to a close... There wasn't a lot on the horizon for me as far as what would be the next project I did. I was still trying to learn and trying to create, but again, um, a lot of the times I get caught up in my head even now about what to do. A lot of self-doubt, a lot of self-hate for sure, and that sort of uh, became prevalent during that era as well. There was a couple of podcasts that uh, I started and I did enjoy, but um, I didn't really know the demographic or anything like that or had a big listener base from those. Now, Is That Your Kid did well locally, but it didn't get to the next level, which was okay because it, it we never tried to. We were, you know, I, I know it's one of those things where you say we were just trying to have fun with our friends, but honestly, it was just something like that. And then in that time in my life, I then became gamefully employed by a second college. 
And that second college was located in downtown Pittsburgh. So what I did, I moved to the South Hills of Pittsburgh so I could commute very easily to work every day. So that was the big move from my small town where I grew up into uh, the South Hills of Pittsburgh. And that was a pretty cool place to work uh, during that time um, is that your kid sort of uh, was around. But it, again, it sort of like petered out towards the end. And I was still looking for like the next project to do, but I wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't know the demographics to a lot of uh, projects I had in mind. So I produced a couple of shows. And when I say produced, I I put that in quotes heavily. I produced a couple of shows, uh, but nothing really stuck. And with that job, though, it was a cool job. It suddenly came to uh, an end as well. Um, It also shut down. So that was my second college that I had worked at that shut down abruptly. So that was college number two. And after that, I had just moved to the city. It was within weeks of me moving to the city, I found out that I no longer had a job. So um, what I took it upon myself to do is is sort of step back from that type of work and kind of reassess my feelings, uh, what I wanted to do. And at that point, I had worked for two colleges, and both of them uh, sent me on my ass packing. Um, So I didn't want to to really do that any longer. If you are a listener to the show prior to this episode, you'll know that I've mentioned several times that I grew up... um, thrifting with my grandfather and he taught me the ins and outs of everything and how everything works. I didn't share too much of that now because that's sort of like retread, but I had this knowledge of of how to pick out items that uh, were worthwhile to purchase and to flip. And so I took it upon myself to to make that my new thing. I would I opened up my first store on eBay.com the website my very own eBay store. Wow, right? Yeah, right. So I would like buy and sell items. And um, this was my first experience at what we call the Goodwill outlet. Now, even to this day, that's where I shop at the Goodwill outlet. So all these thrift halls as a part of the show are from the Goodwill outlet culture. This was the first time in my life that I had experienced a Goodwill outlet. And it was overwhelming because just like for a lot of first-time people visiting the outlet, I'm sure you just see a bunch of blue bins with junk in them. And then the people who shop there are either racist or homophobic if you live in my area, which obviously I don't love either of those. So the culture was kind of weird, but I uh, jumped kind of head into it because I needed money big time. And um, it got kind of poisonous for me mentally just because I was out there not really having fun, um, grin and bearing, just buying all these stupid items and flipping them on eBay on, on the, uh, the eBay store that I had. And But the fun part of it was when I would get through all of that crap, I would have the opportunity to kind of press the flesh. I was in like I did yard sales and I set up tables, different places, just kind of like shill my products and stuff that I bought. And during that time, I learned a lot about myself and how to really understand the business of thrifting 
And so I did that for quite a while. Now, it got to the point where I did it so much that I just straight up got burnt out on it. Um, I would walk into some Goodwill outlets and people would immediately approach me and be like, these were the items that were here today. Um, this person got this item, that person got that item, and all that type of drama that I didn't want to be involved with. And so I just like stepped away because I was just burnt out. And at that time, I was looking to go back into uh, the work to work for colleges and stuff like that. Not because I absolutely loved working in colleges, just because my resume dictated that. And I wasn't terrible at it. And sure, the two schools I worked at, they both shut down. But I knew what my feelings were on the education system. So I don't I didn't believe that I could get my heart broken again by a job shutting down because that's definitely what happened the first couple of times. So it set me back. So uh, fast forward a little while, um, I moved a couple of different times and um, I started to, to get back into the thrifting game and collect things and sell things for money on the side. I started working at a third college, a third college that was uh, easily, I could easily get to from the South Hills of Pittsburgh. It actually was, geez, less than a mile away from my old college that I worked at in Pittsburgh. So I used the same public transportation system to go to that one. And during my time there, um, the job was pretty emotionless and heartless. I just sat at a desk and made like a hundred calls a day, sometimes more to students interested in pursuing their education and um, it was really a thankless job and an easy job because I've actually had, um, I don't want to, I don't know, I guess you could say I've, I had better positions at different uh, colleges prior to that one. And so this was actually not really a stressful job though. Um, it was it was pretty easy. It, it gave me the autonomy to, to sort of thrift a little bit and get out there, but also earn some honest money working. So at this job, um, I sort of met somebody. Um, they were new. They were a new employee, and new employees kind of came and went because the job that I worked was basically like a cattle call. They hired a bunch of people. They wouldn't train them properly. They would tell them to get on the phones, and if they were bad at the phones, they would just merely fire them four weeks later, six weeks later, stuff like that. And I held that position for a long time, at least for that type of position, because I understood what my job was and I understood the monotonous bullshit of working in education. So I had an understanding of what I was doing and what I was getting into. And so I made it work for me and I was moderately successful. I didn't lose a, lose my job at any time, but I would see people losing their jobs uh just just way too much and it, it really took my heart out of it and it, it was just hard to stay there but a new person started there and um we didn't talk at first I guess I mean that's at least what he says now I thought we talked originally a bunch but I guess he didn't talk to me and I didn't talk to him but common conversation came up because he brought up a particular professional wrestler. And I was like, yo, 
I know that wrestler. I appreciate that wrestler and what they do. So we we started talking and we shortly became friends after that. And as push came to shove and working the same hours because we worked uh, evenings. So this person and I worked from like, geez, what was it? Like one o'clock to like eight o'clock every night. And it's hard to be social when you work weird hours. So folks at home who work weird hours, you know that you basically have to be friends with the people at work because you can't see any of the other people because you're never available. So uh, he and I, uh, we did a friend date. It went well. We got wings. We sort of passed each other's friend test. And with my thrifting still being somewhat a part of me, again, it went away for a bit, but then it came back. I had an idea for a podcast in which I would take a guest thrifting every week and talk about the thrift haul on the show. I pitched him this idea and I asked if he would help me workshop this project. I didn't know where it would go and he reluctantly agreed and was like, okay, yeah, whatever this is, you know, let's let's try it out. And that person, folks, ended up being Josh Last Call Larkin. I think it's on every documented occurrence of my life that I like to drink. All the best and worst moments have involved alcohol in some way. So, so that's good to start you off in this universe as that. If there's one thing I've learned while thrifting, it's that a good buzz really (laughs) helps you out in the search. And for those in the know, perhaps those not in the know, Josh and I still work on Thrifty Podcasts to this day. He's probably on about 70 to 75% of the episodes acting as the co-host. But in the early days of Thrifty, he was definitely the backbone of the show. Um, and certainly the earlier episodes of the show, he is the standout star. So, um, we started to work on Thrifty and he was a part of the first couple of episodes and it seemed like it was a great partnership and a great friendship. So we continued doing it. And as we continued with the show, we became better and better friends um and wrestling friends are sometimes the best friends you can have and obviously our relationship from there blossomed into different interests we both have trouble with our mental health so we still try to be there with with each other emotionally all the time which is appreciated because those friends don't grow on trees um so it's always been an appreciation and a love for him that i've had since those early days now, as we would work there at the uh, at at the school that we had worked for, again, we would work at the the same time and everything like that. And behind closed doors, I was sort of uh, you know working on myself. I I had mentioned even in this episode during that time, I was trying to figure out again who I was, what I wanted to be, and I did have a cast of characters around me that were supportive. Um, unfortunately, during this time, uh, my mom became sick. Unfortunately, um, she uh, was diagnosed with cancer, so obviously it it hit the hit the family pretty hard, and um, you know ups and downs with that for folks who've went through that themselves or had uh, family members go through that. You know the trials and tribulations of that, so that's not um, extremely pertinent um, to to my story or unique to my story. I think you you could say so. You know I understand the struggles of that. 
but there was a lot of like inner turmoil and uh, growing up, um, you know, I always kind of felt different in a specific way. And a lot of people knew this, um, but uh, I guess the general spectrum of everybody did not. But I was queer. I am queer. I've always been queer. And it wasn't public knowledge to absolutely everybody. And with my mom being sick, it sort of lit a fire in me to at least share it with her. Now, it was tough. Um, I've, I, was, I was never able to, to do it in years prior because I've been wanting to do it for a long time, a long time at that point. And uh, for one, whatever reason, I was just never comfortable maybe of the, uh, the in-person reaction. Uh, I guess you could say because I didn't know what her reaction would be or if she understood it or what I was going through any of that stuff so what I did is I, I, I in my own brain I thought the easiest way to explain this to a family member would be to do it around people who understood what I was going through so she would see that I had a protected community of support, I guess you could say. But locally, I didn't have a lot of people in my circle that knew, um, um, I guess, I, I don't want to call it a secret because it seems like it's such a bad thing, but it's not. But not a lot of people locally knew what I was going through and how I felt. So I couldn't really present it that way. So I had this other idea. As I mentioned before, I was a part of the Chris Gethard Show community, and Chris and I were good friends for a time. And his show was not on public access anymore. It had grown up. It was on cable television. In fact, it was on True TV, which was sort of a comedy network of some sort because they had the Impractical Jokers on there, yada, yada, yada. But... um. They also had other comedy shows like The Chris Gethard Show. And the call-in topic for one of the shows was to take a chance. So, um, not really super thinking about it. I took this as the time to, to get some information off my chest. I told my sister and I told my mom to watch the show and that I had something to say. And so this next clip I'm about to play is the actual phone call that I called in and revealed something about myself. And uh, yeah, so I'll play that. Todd, welcome back to the show. Hey, everybody. Haven't oh, seen you in a bit, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Good to see you. Glad to see we have our old sense of familiarity, Todd. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tonight... Um, I've been battling with, uh, taking a chance on something that I, some of them, some people close to me already know this, but most don't, but I wanted to tell my family that I'm queer. Oh, wow. Hmm. A huge chance. Brought this to an immediate uh, hush. <laughs> I, 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 I've not been able to speak with them about it, but I've been speaking with people about it, and I feel really good about it. And, you know, I just want to put it out there officially for the first time. Um, I never really thought a, a seminal moment in my life would be, well, you were wearing a Carbonero Effect t-shirt. You know. Here 
question, Todd. Does your family yeah. watch this show? I told them to watch tonight. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did you? That's amazing, yeah. Todd. Todd, wow. I want to say I've always had such fondness for you. I love you. I got your back, and I'm so happy you feel safe sharing that with us. And anything you ever need, you know we're always here for you. So that was that. I was officially publicly known as queer. And so that was out there. And that was uh, a big relief. And I know everybody has their own story for folks in the LGBT community. Um, Revealing who you've always been to your friends and family isn't the easiest part of it. Um, So I don't want to talk too much on this because everybody has their own unique stories that, uh, you know, that are all impressive uh, to hear. So I don't want to talk too much about mine to to clutter all those. But yeah, you know, aka it was a big deal for me. So I was sort of in uh, to my own skin. And to hearken back to Josh Last Call Larkin, um, he knew of the show. He knew my connection with The Chris Gethard Show. And I had hinted to him to watch this episode and um, he's watched episodes before. Um, he didn't see this one live or anything like that. And I don't know. I, I don't think that I ever felt like that he was going to dislike what I had to say. But you just never know people's reactions to things, I think, is the best way to say it. You know, what questions they have, everything like that. Um, so I was, I was telling him to, yeah, just, hey, watch it. I was on this one. I called in. It was the first time I called in in a while. And uh, eventually he did it, and he he watched it, and uh, we discussed it very minimally, but in a way that was like an acceptance thing. I just remember going into work and him finally saying, yeah, I watched it, and then me just going, well, what do you think? And he was like, that's fine, and that's it. That was life from there on out. So that was sort of the ins and outs of Thrifty Podcast, the ins and outs of who I became to be. Now, there's been a lots of ups and downs that I haven't mentioned in here, but like everything else, it's an ongoing process. Um, but again, with Podcast Night at the Tolma number two being a, a pretty loud and pretty sensory overload event for me, I thought it would be cool to, to just do something different this week and just to be by myself alone and record something. So sorry if this was like super lame. We'll get back to uh, the regular show next week. We have a new game debut. It's going to be called Thrifty Thrivia, and that will take the place of Vintage versus Modern. But we still have more of the show this week. So we're going to take a quick commercial break And when we return, I have a short personal thrift haul for you. But again, thanks for listening to this probably over-masturbatory piece. I'm not going to edit any of it. I'm just going to put it up just like this, just so it's just embarrassing enough. But we'll catch you with the thrift haul after the break. Hey, ghouls, I'm Sarah. And I'm Amanda. And we host Ghoul on Ghoul, a supernatural, sex-positive horror comedy podcast that features first-person encounters with the paranormal. Do you get horny for Bigfoot? Do you think the Mothman statue in Point Pleasant, West Virginia has a tight butt? 
Oh, does he? It really does. <laughs> Google it. Google anyway, it. so if you are horny for ghosts, ghouls, vampires, UFOs, all things spooky and creepy, you should probably listen to Ghoul and Gua. You can listen on Libsyn, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. If you want to know what we're all about, you can find us on social media, Twitter, and Instagram at Ghoul at School Pod. We're also on Facebook. So if you want us to scare your pants off, take a listen to Ghoul and Ghoul. Goodbye. Commonwealth Press, Pittsburgh's best screen printing at cwpress.com. We print t-shirts, cwpress.com. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for hanging in there. During the commercial break, I, uh, excuse my language, but I used the potty during the commercial break, and at this point it's like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and I had quite the potty surprise. Uh, I opened the bathroom door, and I guess it's it's officially spring. Um, sometimes it threatens to be summer um, at this point, and there were two gigantic bumblebees in my bathroom I heard the buzz of a certain bumblebee, and I turned the lights on, and you got two buzzy guys flying around the room, so I did the old method of the uh, the paper in the plastic cup, because I didn't want to smash them, because of course, bumblebees in my bathroom, they have to be smart enough to get there, so you know I want to promise them a, a better life outside my own potty room, so... Uh, shoot them in with the paper, put them into the cup, and out they go. Hopefully they have a beautiful and fulfilling spring ahead of them. Um, when I was a little bit younger, I used to be afraid of, of, of bees and stuff and hornets, and I grew up in a hornet house. Uh, when I, what I mean by that is uh, that hornets would always end up in the house for some reason, and so that was something that would happen to me. Um, hornets out of the ceiling sometimes. Didn't love that. Uh, one time at, at Boy Scout camp, I'm not sure if uh, the hornet came up with the ride or it flew in during my slumber, but there was a, a hornet in my sleeping bag at Boy Scout camp. And uh, I rolled off the uh, top bunk, unfortunately, um, because of the hornet. And to uh, my fellow other Boy Scouts' surprise, I brought my favorite cherished stuffed animal, Ralph the Walrus, from home. Um, I snuck him to Boy Scout camp because I didn't want my friends seeing Ralph the Walrus because uh, I I feared that I may be a little bit too old to bring Ralph. So Ralph fell out of the sleeping bag. And the hornet got out of the sleeping bag, but I uh, was pretty happy with myself because nobody saw Ralph. And in fact, my mom took a picture of me with Ralph, celebrating the fact that I kept Ralph, uh, I kept Ralph hidden. And that's what's going to be on the the cover art is at Boy Scout camp with Ralph the walrus dressed up like a pumpkin for Halloween. But again, thanks for coming back. Uh, We have a a small thrift haul to get through today. If you've been paying attention to our social media, you will see we are on YouTube. So there is videos of us collecting the thrift hauls every week. So hop over to YouTube, subscribe, take a look at the videos. Uh, Some of the past guests are on those videos too. Um, But this week's video, which you will see on our social media, on our Facebook, on our Twitter, everything like that. 
Um, it's just me. I went out this week by myself, and the stuff you see in that thrift haul video, we will be going over that stuff now. As usual, the thrift haul from this week was all purchased at a Goodwill outlet, and Goodwill outlet charges by the pound, so we got everything for a great deal. First up on the list of our thrift finds, and something I'm quite excited about because I have probably three or four of these now in great condition. They're quite collectible to some folks, especially you wood grain brains out there, because this is a wood grain vintage alarm clock radio made by General Electric. Yep, it's the one that your dad had on his nightstand while you were growing up. Um, a lot of these were made in Malaysia. Uh, the one in front of me actually was made in Singapore. And I guess a shout out to the Charlie Brown blockheads, but uh, it's more for the clockheads on this particular episode. But we find these in varying degrees of working. Usually that they're pretty copacetic as far as the inner functions. Sometimes they have some bumps and bruises on the outside just from uh, dropping them. Or even at the Goodwill outlet themselves, their uh, particular way of moving everything around drops everything on its head once upon a time. So this is in great working condition at least uh, internally, because if you did see the video on our YouTube page or on our Facebook page, you will see that I, I do plug it in and it does work. And let's uh, kick it on again here with the, um, and on top of it, that's where the, the, the speaker is. Um, you got your snooze, you got your sleep, you got your alarm, and you could set the clock uh, holding down the fast button. And what the fast button does, it just zooms through all the numbers until you find exactly what you're looking for as far as the time. And it's inconvenient because if you pass it, if you zoom past what you're looking for, you have to loop all the way back around again. And obviously it cycles between a.m. and p.m. So you have to cycle back through that. But it's quite convenient in some ways because it's only one button holds the key to setting this clock. And as we know, sometimes clocks get out of sync and there's no way to actually set them unless you do like five things and god awful stuff like that. And I'm never going to do that. So it takes one button to set this. So it could be convenient, could not be convenient, depending on how you look at it. But we're going to turn her on. 800, 370. 34, Very cool. 37, oh, it's a number station. All right. Let's go to Jennifer in Modesto, California. Oh, it's talk radio. And let's see. And she's got a severe dry scalp with big flakes coming off. Ooh. Okay. And how old a woman are you, Jennifer? And how much do you weigh? 46 and 145. Okay, well, the, have you ever opened a conversation with someone? To everybody else, How old are you and what do you weigh? Flakes. And when the flakes stick together so you can see them, there's too much sebum being produced at the scalp. And um, this can make the scalp very, very itchy because these guys are opportunists. And they're usually eating one of two things. Uh-oh. Sugar. So you may be consuming too much in the way of sugar. And the second thing 
is poorly digested food and maybe both so let's deal with the sugar you can i don't want to deal with the sugar i never want to deal with the sugar uh, i have my own sugar problems thank you conservative talk radio uh, so that was the General Electric Vintage Alarm Clock Radio, and I'm not sure if I've said it before, but you could look yours uh, look yours up on eBay.com, the website. This particular model is the 7-4625A, 7-4625A, and you could get yours for around 30 bucks. And this will probably be popping up on the Thrifty Podcast uh, gift shop. So if you're on Instagram, at Thrifty Podcast, I'll have this up. You could purchase it, and uh, it'll be below $30. I guarantee that. Next up on the Thrift Hall for this week, we have a t-shirt that goes back to the early 80s. And it is locally given away here because what we're looking at from 1982, it is a Pittsburgh Steelers 50-season celebration t-shirt. Now, the team itself was named the all-time team. So in the celebration of 50 years with the team, everybody was to vote your favorite player at each position as far as what you are looking to have on the best all-time Steelers list. So that was the top 24 players in the club's history were selected. 11 on offense, 11 on defense, and of course, one punter and one place kicker. The team was chosen on the basis of more than 100,000 ballads. So this is before the age of the internet, so we had to write that stuff down. So the all-time team that this represents, um, we have quarterback Terry Bradshaw, number 12, Rocky Blyer at running back, Franco Harris at running back, wide receivers Lynn Swan and John Stallworth. And Lynn Swan... uh, uh, the, the Actually, the, the biggest reason why I care about Lynn Swan, and it's not because he was a Super Bowl MVP, is because probably, what, six or seven years ago, maybe even longer than that, he founded, or at least co-founded, an arena football team in Pittsburgh, PA, called the Pittsburgh Power And I was trying to get on board with arena football there for a while just so I would have something to talk about and something to go to. So I actually purchased Pittsburgh Power Arena Football season tickets, but only one seat. That's uh, one of the most depressing things I've probably ever done, but I don't regret it. Unfortunately, the Pittsburgh Power couldn't get themselves off the ground and uh, were canceled after one season. So the success of the Steelers, since Lynn Swan wanted to give us a second football team, and just as you suspected, nobody came to it. So that was the Pittsburgh Power. And sometimes I find Pittsburgh Power merchandise at the Goodwill Outlet, so I have some of that as well. But going down the list... Of other Pittsburgh Steelers picked for this all-time team, um, you have impressive defensive tackle Mean Joe Green, defensive end L.C. Greenwood, 
And then the big boys in the linebacking core, you got the Jacks playing around. You got Jack Ham and Jack Lambert. And something I noticed with this Pittsburgh Steelers all-time team that was put together back in the 80s is we are a city that supports our, our home hometown boys. Uh, what I mean by that is most of the players that I just mentioned play their entire NFL careers in Pittsburgh, and we nominate them to appreciate that. So if you play for the Steelers for more than 10 years, yeah, this city will care about you. Um, but with the shirt itself, it actually fits me pretty okay. A lot of the times, if you're looking at uh, not only vintage sports merchandise, but also current sport, sports merchandise, everything's a, a cut a little bit uh, strange. Well, I would say probably more so my body type is strange more than it's cut strange. Um, a lot of the times for your modern sports jerseys, they're just too big and puffy, and I look like I'm wearing a raincoat every time I put on a jersey. But this shirt from the 1980s, it's cut a little bit more slim, which is awesome um, because I don't look like a total fool in it, but of course I don't have the body type of any type of athlete, so I don't look great in any type of sports gear, but hell, I uh, still support sports, why not? Um, so this Steelers 50 season vintage shirt from the early 80s, um, you could actually take a look for yourself on ebay.com, the website, and get your own for 34 bucks. So I made out like a bandit getting this shirt because, of course, I purchased it by the pound. It doesn't weigh very much, and its value is $34. So that's a heck of a turnaround. The last piece for our thrift haul for this week, and it was something also that you could check out in the YouTube video that we posted, I have... Big, long tube socks that are the cutest color purple, and they have a gray cobra right on the top of them looking to strike. It looks, uh, the cobra, it's surrounded by blue flowers, like a powder blue flower, so the powder blue on purple is quite the look. Um, it does have sort of like a, um, if, if you want to talk about like a traditional tattoo styling to the cobra, so if I had to guess, uh, these were probably within the last decade that these were made because I know there's, uh, in common culture and even alternative culture, that styling of tattoos are very much back. So I would date these probably from 2010 to about 2000, maybe 14, 15. Um, I'm not quite sure where they came from, but they're going to be added to my sock collection and I'll throw those on top of the pile. So that was the thrift haul for today's episode. Again, we did something a little bit different with this episode of Thrifty. I do hope you enjoy it. I want to give a shout out to Steve Barris from Bluffs, bluffs.bandcamp.com. And as always, Alternate Reality, the theme to our show for many reasons. So thank you, Steve, bluffs.bandcamp.com. And Bluffs just released a brand new album, and it is smoking. So check it out. Also, a shout out to our sponsor, Commonwealth Press. 
cwpress.com with promo code thrifty podcast you could order 50 shirts and get 12 for free the softest shirts in america cwpress.com and again thank you everybody for listening uh Uh, The first piece of the show, we won't be doing anything like that in future episodes, but just wanted to try something different. Thanks again for everybody who came out to podcast night at the Toma 2. I hope we see each other at future events. And if we don't, folks, there's only one thing left to do, and that is to get roached.